It is Super Bowl Sunday. And the pain is still real, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I, uh, I will watch. I will. I do not own any Cincinnati Bengals attire. Um, but I do own some Bengals attire. So this will be my hope that Joey B will somehow channel one more. Uh, I, if you're going to beat the Chiefs, then you might as well finish it. Might as well finish it. He's probably my second favorite quarterback, so I'll, I'll be cheering for him today. What I was grateful for this week is the Olympics. Because I could watch the Olympics instead of all the Super Bowl hype of where we should be. You know, you know what I'm saying? Anybody like the Olympics? Anybody watching? Watching Olympics? Pretty good stuff. My, I like the Olympics. My wife loves the Olympics, so we watch the Olympics. That's how it goes. And one of the amazing things this year has been an age factor. Pretty cool. The more birthdays I have, the more I think that's cool. Uh, there was a, a, a German speed skater, Claudia Pestin. She has been to eight Winter Olympics. Eight. She became this time the oldest female Winter Olympian ever. Two days after these Olympics close, she will turn 50. That's what I'm talking about, right? That's, that's the stuff. And, and, and of course, the, the, the story of Lindsey Jacob Ellis and, and Nick Baumgartner, if you haven't seen that, even if you don't like sports, it's, it's really worth looking up their story. They won gold in the combined snowboard cross, which is worth watching. That's pretty cool. Their combined age is 76. They're both children of the 80s which in Olympic talk is like senior citizen, all right? And now, apparently, they are living out their golden years because they both won a gold medal. This is the only time that I ever watch luge or skeleton or curling, right? I am cheering a block of granite sliding down the ice, and I think for me, that, that perhaps is the most amazing thing about the Winter Olympics. If you back up enough to see the big picture, it all happens on ice. From short track to snowboard, from bobsled to biathlon, it, it all happens on ice, which makes it so much about the stance. You can't win without a, a strong stance, especially on a surface that is slippery. Well, today, I, we are going to learn about a most important stance in life. It is one of the massive theological truths that make Christians strong. I'm going to say that again. What we're going to learn today is one of the massive theological truths that makes Christians strong. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited. 
just to be able to share with you today. I'm grateful for wherever you may be that you would take the time to join with us. I really think God is going to show us something cool today, and by cool, I mean impacts our life. We're studying the book of Philippians. So if you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, it's worth finding because we're going to be there this year. A little letter that the Apostle Paul wrote a long time ago to some Jesus followers in a city called Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. Well, God, what, what he spoke through Paul, God, God said, we're, we're, I'm writing this down and I'm going to protect it so that all of God's family who follows after, including us, could learn from it. So we're still in chapter one. We're not very far down this road, still in chapter one. And today, Paul is going to teach us this truth. And and I'm going to go ahead and give you this by showing us a purpose, a problem, and a promise. A purpose, a problem, and a promise. Let me show you what I mean. Philippians chapter one, We have arrived at verse 12. Here's what he says. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, I'm saying here's purpose. This is one of the main purposes that Paul writes this letter to those believers in Philippi. When he's using the term brothers and sisters, he's, he's talking about God's family. The, these are the people who have put their trust in Jesus. T- together they are following him. And Paul's saying, look, the purpose of my writing to you, I want to clarify something. I want to give you some knowledge. I want you to know. Let's keep going. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me? That's the problem. Because what has happened to Paul is prison. Prison. Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. Now, we know the story. We've been, we've been following this for even in last year when we went through the book of Acts. We know this, this really started back in Jerusalem where they were falsely accusing Paul of, of being against God's word and against God's temple and against God's people. They, they made all that up, but, but, but Paul found himself in this struggle and soon he found himself in prison. He has been in prison for years now. A couple of those years were in Caesarea. You remember they moved him from Jerusalem, then he ends up in Caesarea. Now he's in Rome. He's in Rome. He knows that these people in Philippi care about him. They have a relationship that when you read this book, you you can tell how much he loves them. They love him. They know he's in prison, and he wants them to know something about him being in prison prison. Here we go. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me 
has actually served to advance the gospel. And I'm calling that a promise, and I'll show you why here in just a minute. He says, what's happened to me, it, it has served to advance the gospel. Now, before we, we, we go too far, I'm, I'm never going to assume that you know what the gospel is. When we use the word gospel, it means good news. That's what the word means. In Paul's day, this word, euangelion, it was just a common everyday word that, that if a conversation was happening between people and, and I might say to you, you got any good news for me today? That was the word. Well, the writers of the New Testament took that very common word and they adapted it to, to mean something not so common. They adapted that word to speak about the good news of salvation that comes through Jesus. So have you heard the good news? This is the good news. Jesus died for our sin. He was buried and on the third day he arose and appeared to many. And all who turn to Jesus are saved. That is the good news. Paul says, look, me being in prison, it has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, if we had not read the book of Acts, we might think that the gospel is something that's only shared by people like Paul, like apostles or pastors or teachers. If we had not read the, the book of Acts, then we might think that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is only spoken at church gatherings like this. But because we have studied the book of Acts, we know that this is the mission of every kid of God, every person who has put their faith in Jesus, we are given this mission of being witnesses. We testify to this good news of Jesus. I'm saying to you today, this, this truth that Paul's giving you, this is not just for, right, the, the, the apostles or the pastors. This is for you. And because this is the mission that your life is called to, this is big. And get what he's saying here. Prison advances the gospel? Doesn't that seem weird? Prison advances the gospel. A, a hindrance helps the gospel. Chains, Paul being in chains is, has brought freedom for the gospel. Being stopped makes the gospel move forward. I, I couldn't help but thinking what this means for our typical thinking as the church where we think it's necessary for everything to be great in order for the gospel to go forward. We think that everything's got to be perfect, everything's got to, to, to work exactly in order for the gospel to go forward. Paul has been leading up to this truth. Remember what he said back in verse 6. 
He said, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me translate, God always finishes what he starts. Um, but what if, but what if they throw me in prison? And the answer is, the gospel goes forward. He finishes what he starts. And then, I'm sure that you remember, because we spent like, four weeks on the the prayer that Paul was praying for the Philippians. Go back to verse 9 and look what it says. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Paul's praying, look, I I want your love to grow, your love for God, your love for one another. I I want this to grow more and more, and it's guided by the truth of God. It It is guided by knowledge. Well, get ready I'm about to drop some knowledge. That's what Paul's doing here. And here's what he drops. Nothing can stop the gospel. Nothing. Prison can't stop it because nothing can stop the gospel. And this truth is spoken repetitively throughout the New Testament. There is a verse in the book of Romans that, um, if you've been around church very long, it's one of those verses that you immediately pick up on. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it reads like this, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, like whatever happens, whatever the circumstances, when things don't go the way they should, God always makes them turn for good. Now, somehow, we have a tendency to make this about us. Imagine that, right? We kind of like the verse because we're like, oh, whatever this is about is going to be good for me in the end, whatever this is about, right? We kind of always turn it that way. But let me tell you why this is good for us. It's good for us because it is God who is working the good in every circumstance. It is God who is defining what that good is in every circumstance, which is way better than what I do. It's way better than what you come up with. This is his purpose. And so when we read texts like this, right, and we begin to lay those together with, with Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. This is the truth that we are assured of. God makes everything that happens to me a means to advance the gospel. God makes everything that happens to me a means to advance the gospel, the good news. God can make prison, which has happened to Paul. He can make prison a means to advance the good news. Throughout this letter of Philippians, we will pick up on Paul building on what he gives us here. 
In, in Philippians chapter 3, he'll talk about the fact that there are enemies. We have enemies. And sometimes it appears that those enemies are more powerful than we are because they put us in places like prison. The point is, if we have powerful enemies, we need to know that whatever they do to us, it still advances the gospel because they can't stop the gospel. Let me show you where Paul eventually lands on this. I started not to give it to you because like it's in the book of Philippians and we're going to cover it, but it'll probably be winter again before we get there. So I'm sure you'll remember, but here's what he says in Philippians chapter four, verse six. We, we like this one too. Some of you know, some of you know this verse, do not be anxious about anything. Whatever's happening to you, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, whatever's happening to you, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In every situation, he says, whatever is happening to you, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about prison. Don't be anxious about persecution. Don't be anxious about sickness. You can keep filling in the blank. The point is peace will guard you. God's peace will guard you. It may look like there are Roman soldiers who are guarding you, Paul, but the truth is, you know, really, it is the peace of God that guards your soul. When it feels like everything has been ruined, the peace of God wins. That's because nothing negative, nothing painful, Nothing ugly can stop the gospel. So look at that verse 12 again with me. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It is out of that language that we have chosen a title for this series. And we're going to be in this series um, more than a month, probably five, six weeks, we're going to be in this section of Scripture and in this little series. And the title that we have chosen for this series is this, Happen Stance. Happen Stance. And the tagline is, does it happen to me or will I happen it. Now, I like this little play because when people usually use the word happenstance, what are they referring to? They're referring to a concept sort of like luck, right? It was just happenstance, right? How did that come about? It was just happenstance. People sort of use it interchangeably with luck. Well, maybe you don't know this yet, but followers of Jesus don't believe in luck, <laughs> Because we believe in a God who is sovereign. 
We believe in a God who is in control of all. We believe in a God who begins and finishes everything. We trust in a Jesus who in all things works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When that is the truth, when you know Jesus, when you follow him, you are not at the mercy of your circumstances. No, you are in circumstances where God is advancing the gospel. I'm not living life asking the question, does it happen to me? I'm not living life saying, oh, these, this, is just, this is just what happened to me. No, I get to live life trusting in the God who cannot be stopped. His good news cannot be stopped. The mission that he's given for my life cannot be stopped because it is to share the gospel. Therefore, when I find myself in these circumstances, I know that what God's doing is advancing the gospel. Now watch where Paul takes this because we would go, well, how do we know that's true like in prison for Paul? How do we know that? He makes this statement, but how do we know that? Well, Paul gives us verse 13. As a result, a result of what? He's saying, me in prison, advancing the gospel. As a result, it has become clear. Not foggy. Not maybe. This has become clear. Throughout the whole palace guard, he's talking about Caesar's forces here, the whole palace guard, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, how, did, how would it be clear? Because Paul talks about it every day of his life. He talks about it with everybody that he encounters. He lives the gospel every single day that God gives him breath. Why was it clear? Why is nobody guessing? Because Paul is speaking and living the good news of Jesus wherever he is. The whole palace guard. That is going to be an interesting view, I think, when we get to heaven. And there's like this whole section of the palace guard. Like, how'd you get here? Well, Paul was in prison. And not only the whole palace guard, but you see these two little words? Everyone else. I don't even know. Like, I don't know where that ends. It's exactly what it says. It says everywhere, everywhere. I don't even know where that ends. How far does that extend into Caesar's household, right? How far does that extend into this Roman government? I, I, I don't know. But they know that Paul's in prison for Christ, question, 
Is that like a good advertisement for church growth? Prison? Paul says it is. And I think a part of the reason it is is because unlike a prosperity gospel that we sometimes call it, right, a a declaration of good news that we can sell for what it will gain you. Paul is not preaching that things will go better for you if you follow Jesus. He is not preaching a message of things will go better for you if you follow Jesus. He is preaching, I'm in prison for following Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, you might be in prison too. But Jesus is worth it all. That's what he's preaching. You're like, is that really how we should read? Is that really how we should see it? Well, did you know that Jesus actually spoke on this? Uh, Mark chapter 13, Mark chapter 13, verse 9, it reads this way, you must be on your guard, Jesus said. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Now, that line just struck me this week, right? And there's a whole history behind what that means. But I, I got to thinking, there's a lot of people that I know who checked out on church when they were young because they went to church somewhere and either they or somebody they knew got flogged in the synagogue. I, I, think, I think that becomes a title series one day. I don't, I don't know. But, but he, here, here's what he says. Jesus said, you're going to be handed over and flogged in the synagogue. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Jesus said, here's what's going to happen. So then when it happens, we know why it's happening. And when we find ourselves in the circumstance, we don't see it as a step back. No, it's actually an advance of the gospel. Now, anytime the Bible says anything, obviously we can embrace it wholeheartedly and we realize it's important, but when God starts repeating stuff in his word, Like, maybe we ought to really take a look here. Well, I'm sure that you remember from Luke chapter 21, because at the beginning of last year, we went through the book of Luke, right? Here's what he said in Luke chapter 21. Jesus said, before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. Jesus said, this is going to happen to you. And when it does, this will be your opportunity. Take up your happen stance. When this happens to you, here's your stance. Verse 12, one more time. 
I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me is actually a God at work. Therefore, it's actually him through me happening to it. So, I think we got the principle. It would be wise before we close up today to let's get practical. Like, do we really understand how this is the advancement of the gospel? Like, do we really grasp that? I want to make sure we do. When we go through circumstances, whatever happens to us, it it is God working. There is an advancement of the gospel because sometimes it means gaining access to people you can't get to any other way. Paul, in prison, met people in prison that he would not have met if he were not in prison. Right? He, He met The palace guard (laughs) never would have had that opportunity to have repetitive conversations, maybe not even one conversation, right? How, How many people in ruling positions did Paul encounter because he had been arrested, even though he's arrested falsely? Remember the book of Acts? Remember Felix? Remember that? Remember Festus? Remember Agrippa? Remember how ruler after ruler, Paul was placed before them and he would share his story time and time again about the collision course that he had with Jesus and out of telling his story, he would share the good news with them. The gospel is advanced because oftentimes in these moments, we are gaining access to people that we would not get to in our normal place. It also advances the gospel because you're communicating there is a Christ. I know that seems obvious, but the whole point here is we got people that don't know who Jesus is in prison. Now that Paul is in prison and speaking about Jesus, now they know who Jesus is. The good news that has not been known, now it is known. How did they know? Because he spoke about it. He lived it. Let me give you one more. How is this advancement? Because it is demonstrating Christ's value. Here's what I mean by that. When you see a person on trial, falsely accused here, but he's on trial, and you see someone in prison And even willing to die for the one that they follow, there is some part of us that wants to lean in and go, tell me about who this is that means so much to you. Tell me why. You're okay. 
Even though they've made up stuff about you, tell me why you're okay, even though you have been in prison for years now and don't, don't ever seem to get a fair shot at a... T- tell me why you're even willing to die. Because Jesus is worth it. You ever consider, it becomes clear in Scripture, God considers it more important that the world knows that Christ is worth dying for than in knowing that Christ makes life easier. Now, I'm going to say that the gospel in, in the church culture of America may at this point in a way be so soft that I don't even know if we can all fully comprehend that statement. The message is not Jesus makes life easier. The message is Jesus is worth dying for. Now, my tendency is to want to say to us today that none of us have been in prison for Jesus. I didn't say none of us have been in prison. I said none of us have been in prison for Jesus, all right? But that may not be true. Because every once in a while, there are some folks who join us from very long distances, other countries, and they have been in prison for Jesus. But for most of us in Heart of Life local church in this country, we have not. And so I want to make sure that we understand today that the truth of this this, this, this passage is broader than prison. It's bigger than that. Prison is not the only problem that the gospel, right, that, that, that doesn't stop the gospel. It is also true, for example, that problems with your health cannot stop the advancement of the gospel. And God can even use struggles in your health to cause the gospel to go forward. I'm saying the same is true, the problem of the loss of a loved one. I mean, I don't know how the grief, the pain that's associated with that, but I, I want you to know that, that even the loss of a loved one is not a problem that stops the gospel. What a time in the loss of someone loved, what a time that becomes to speak to everybody around you about the eternal life that Jesus gives. This morning, I spoke with somebody, part of Heart of Life, who experienced loss in their family. But as a result of that loss, the great-grandson of the one who was lost put his trust in Jesus for the first time. 
and others are asking. How can that be? It's because the problem of even losing somebody that you love, it is not a problem that shuts down the gospel. It's a hurt, but it it cannot stop the gospel going forward. And it is often in those moments that we see it advance. The same is true in the the loss of a job or the loss of a career, maybe the loss of an opportunity to go to this school or, or finish this degree. I have seen people experience those kinds of losses in their life and I have watched them wander for years, devastated that those things happen to them. Listen to me. The reason that happens is that they made their life mission something that could be stopped. If you make your life mission, your career, it can be stopped. If you make your life mission a degree, it can be stopped. But when your life mission is the good news of Jesus, it cannot be stopped. In whatever circumstance you find yourself in, God advances that mission through those circumstances. The same is true with struggles and relationships. You, you, you experience a, a betrayal, perhaps from a friendship or, or a family member. I could go, we could go on and on. Nothing stops the gospel. God makes everything that happens to me a means to advance the gospel. About a week and a half ago, my wife, um, Jen, had some surgery. She's doing good, hoping she'll be back in the mix by this next week. But nobody likes surgery. If you like surgery, you need counseling, right? Nobody likes surgery. It is something that she had been, you know, kind of wrestling with for a while. And, I mean, any kind of of surgery just means that something regarding your health is not as it should be. Uh, It it typically always involves pain. It might involve pain beforehand. That's why you're having the surgery. If not, it involves pain after, if you've ever had surgery, because there's just that healing process and all that's involved. But in the middle of what was happening to her, my wife had a conversation with one of the surgeons. And she discovered from this surgeon that um, this year she's retiring. And when she retires, she is going to become the chief medical officer, you heard me right, she's going to retire in order to become the chief medical officer for the uninsured, underinsured, and immigrant peoples in Wyandotte County. You want to guess where her offices will be? The Argentine district. When my wife heard that, she immediately engaged in a conversation of talking about how our church, Heart of Life, 
had become connected with the Argentine district. We had, there, there were people who were there yesterday who were serving in, in, in different capacities, and Jen was able to engage in this conversation that led to, this is about the love of Jesus. The surgeon's response was, once I get settled there, I would like to get together and meet these people who are serving that community. She's talking about you. We don't know yet what God's going to do with all that. Like, I I don't know yet whose hearts are going to belong to him by the time all that's said and done. Hers, others, I don't, I don't know where that's going to end, but God does. What I do know is that God makes everything that happens to us. Surgery? Don't nobody like surgery? Who wants to go to surgery? Why is this happening to me? Why why am I having to deal with this? God makes everything that happens to us a means to advance the gospel. Even a problem with our health. Knowing that story of what God was doing with my wife and the conversation with the surgeon and I'm admitting to you knowing that I was studying this piece of of Philippians chapter 1 I'm going to tell you it made me approach surgery day a little differently I was I was like it was a different attitude for me walking into surgery day um I spent 12 hours there at that at the hospital with her thinking, I wonder if God's going to do anything out of this. Because who wants to spend 12 hours waiting in a surgery? I mean, I love her. I would do anything. I'd, I'd take the surgery for her, but who wants to sit in a waiting room for 12 hours? Sure enough, I'm sitting in that waiting room full of people. I watch a gentleman who was seated across from me get up, and when he comes back, it's obvious he had been to the cafeteria. And before he ate his food, he took off his hat. He unashamedly bowed his head, and I could tell he was praying. And when he got done, I looked at him. I pounced. That's what I did. When he, when he, got, when he got done, I, I pounced. And I simply said, I'm with you. Because the Jesus I know, he is the provider of everything. He provides the food that we eat, but he also provides the strength that we need when we're going through struggles like today. He looked back at me and his response was, yes, sir, he is. And over the next period of time, he and I had an open conversation about Jesus. 
I'm affirming to him who Jesus is and he's affirming to me who Jesus is in a waiting room full of people. They're that day with many of them. They're going through something that is uncertain. They are going through something that is incredibly uncomfortable. They are going through something that is scary. And it was as though God just set up a tag team and me and him, we just kept speaking about Jesus. I don't know where all that's going to end. I, I wish I could tell you that everybody in the waiting room raised their hand and prayed the prayer. I, I, that, that, that didn't go that far. That, that didn't happen. But, but you know what? It was obvious to me that God was doing something in advancing the knowledge of who Jesus is. Even in that circumstance, I know a God who makes everything that happens to us a means to advance the gospel, even a struggle with our health. And now, you know. Now you know. So whatever you're going through, please hear what I'm about to say. This text is not saying that problems are insignificant. This text is not saying that your problems are not real. It is not saying that your problems are not difficult because they can be. This text is not dismissing the fact that when we go through struggles and problems, we, we all need people to care. And sometimes we need some counsel or how to get through some of the struggles that we go through. This text is not belittling the circumstances that any of us are in today. And so my point is if you are in some of those circumstances today, you're, you're in some of those hurts, whether it's experiencing loss or, or it's, it's betrayal or, or it's health or whatever that is, you are not alone in the struggle that you're in. And, and I want you to know that before we're done here today, man, there are some people who would love to pray with you, to pray for you, to link arms with you and to help you walk through this but I want you to know that this is even bigger than that. Because this text is saying that there is a purpose to live for that cannot be stopped. It's bigger than your career. It's bigger than your health. It's bigger than all the other relationships. There is a purpose to live for that cannot be stopped. And there is a promise to live for that cannot be broken. This is a different stance. It is a happen stance. It is not just that it is happening to you. It is because of the God who lives within you. You are happening to it. Will you? Speak of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this is um, one of those passages that it's likely we're admitting we probably may not 
would build a series on this. It's not likely that we might be willing to, to, to build a series on going through circumstances where we struggle. But God, I, I'm thanking you for directing us here. I'm thanking you for all that you have done to bring us to the text today. A truth that is key in making your kids strong. So God, today I'm asking that every single one who is hearing these words today, God, I'm asking that you would open our understanding by the power of your spirit that we might truly be able to grasp, God, how big this is. God, that every single one of us, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, whatever level of loss, whatever level of hurt, level of pain, God, today that you would give us a different perspective. I thank you that you don't belittle it. I pray that there could be comfort today. I, I pray that every person would know they are not alone in the struggle, God, that together you call us together with one another to walk this out and that you are with us. God, today I am asking in the name of Jesus that there could be healing. I, I pray for healing in, in health situations. I, I pray for healing in, in broken relationship situations. I, I pray for healing where there's, there's grief among your people because of the loss of people that they love. I ask for healing, but I also thank you that the miracle goes even bigger. And I ask you that you would give your kids courage, boldness, love. That in the middle of these circumstances, whatever is happening to us, that we have faith to believe that you are bigger and you cannot be stopped today will you give us eyes to see you give us eyes to see your greatness give us eyes to see your love that we may live the life you call us to I thank you for what you're speaking right now, God. Help us to hear. Give us courage to hear. And it's in the name of Jesus that together we praise you even in the struggle.